Here we go. We're in Matthew chapter 6 and taking just really a flyover view of the Sermon on the Mount, speaking about it for just a few weeks to tonight. Two more messages, Sunday morning and Sunday night next week, though on Wednesday night, Brother Elmer Fernandez will be speaking out at the college on Tuesday and Wednesday. And of course, Brother Fernandez was for many years, and our first Spanish pastor of our church, Rose O'Brien, used to meet with the Spanish folks that would come, and she did her best with that Sunday school class. And then uh, Brother Fernandez came to Bible College from Cuba, or from Southern Florida, uh, by way of, or to, to, from Cuba to Southern Florida, and up into First Baptist Church, and the Lord uh, let him be our first Spanish pastor. And then, of course, started the fires of evangelism, and a great ministry to Spanish-speaking churches and pastors around the world. I'm excited about him being with us. And of course, this summer, they're trying to have a large conference. It was planned for last summer, and which they will use, Lord willing, this building and Spanish folks from all over the nation and the world plan to come and, uh, and come and be with us in the last part of June, and I'm excited about having Brother Fernandez. Then we'll study this chapter 7 uh, next Sunday morning and Sunday night. I want to thank you for your interest in the Word of God as we look at it. Just a quick reminder, the Apostle, um, uh, excuse me, Matthew, one of the disciples, he's the one who included this. It's not found in Mark. It's not found in Luke. Uh, excuse me, it is a little bit in Luke and not found in John, but it's the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord Jesus looked like he had a large group of people with him. He went up to a higher mountain and spoke to his disciplined followers and really reprogramming them on some things that they had heard and thought. And he kept saying, you've heard it been said. You've heard it was said. You've heard it was said. And once again, it had been 400 years since God had spoken to his people. Malachi was the last one to lay down the pen and and uh, he was a, a post-exilic prophet there. And, and for 400 years, really, they, the people did not have a Bible in their language, I think, uh, as a general rule. And so basically, they were speaking Aramaic, most likely. And then the Bible was written in Hebrew, the Old Testament. And so really, it was kind of like the, before the Reformation, whenever we did, people didn't have a Renaissance, didn't have the Bible in their hand. They would say, you don't need your Bible. We know how to read Latin, and we'll tell you what the Bible says. And so it looks like to me, there's a lot of that going on. And the Lord Jesus appears on the scene. The, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the scribes, they know there's something about him. But instead of accepting and, re, and, and re, receiving him, like, the, like we see in Matthew chapter 5, where he said, look, I've given you so many proofs of who I am. I keep telling you I'm God. And you, I've got a witness to that. John the Baptist told you that. My works show you that. Just like Nicodemus said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So he said, you got the witness of my own words. I keep telling you I am. And every time I say I am, you pick up rocks to stone me. <laughs> Every time I say that my father, you pick up rocks and, and try to throw, you try to stone me. He said, I've given you my witness, John the Baptist, and you knew that he was not a crackpot. You knew that he was the real deal and you were nervous with him and you knew he was from God. You could tell he was spirit filled all of his life preparing other folks for me. You have my works. You, uh, you have my father who spoke from heaven three times saying, this is my son. At the Jordan River, he did it again at the Mount of Transfiguration. The cross, we see that he affirmed that. And then he said, search the scriptures, for in them you'll see the have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. In John chapter 5, and verse 39, he reminds him, he says, you've got five proofs that I am who I am. 
But of course, they hardened their heart. He came into his own and his own, they didn't accept him. But he is, he's got these 12 men in particular. There are other disciples, and really, if you look at Jesus' ministry, from going from him to 12 to when he went back to heaven, there were 120. So it really wasn't the, the huge numbers of three and a half years of the God-man. But he was definitely trying to get into between the, the, the ears of 12. Because if the disciples didn't get it, you and I wouldn't be sitting here looking at each other today. They had to get it. By the way, this is why discipleship is so important. Everybody ought to help someone grow in the Lord. If you're not helping someone, you should. You should get really passionate. Say, Lord, who am I helping right now? Make somebody's spiritual maturity your personal responsibility. I love it when missionaries come. And I love getting calls from missionaries and say, we'd like to come present to the work. But I've oftentimes sat with missionaries and I say, what are you planning to do? And they'll say, well, I'm going to go to the mission field. Wonderful. What are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to win souls. That's wonderful. What else are you going to do? I'm going to train disciple people. That's great. And um, what are we going to do with them? We're going we're to train pastors and start churches. But I oftentimes will say to them, let me ask you, who have you done that for already? Maybe just give me a couple of names of people you've led to Christ in the last year. Boy, some of these guys get lockjaw. <laughs> like, uh, well, you know, I, I led a kid to the Lord after a junior church at a church in West Virginia. Okay, but you know, who, who, who have you led before that? Or let's, let's go back. And, and then who have you discipled? Well, the truth of the matter is, these are things that ought to be in, in every missionary, but they ought to be in every pastor. They ought to be in every member. Every single Saved saint ought to be a servant. And we ought to have someone we're working with. And Jesus knew that. That's why he tells us. He said, the things which you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach us also. Let me tell you, that'll help you a lot when you're helping people grow in the Lord. And Jesus, he came for one main reason, to give his life a ransom for many. The second reason he came was to get between the, between the, the ears of twelve. And one of them was an unsuccessful attempt. Boy, just, just know this. If you're working with people, not everybody you love and invest in are going to make it. They're not all going to take the journey with you. But you just keep working with people. You keep on working with another person. And I was thinking about just watching the choir sing and watching people that are handling cameras and people that are ushers now who weren't even saved five years ago. Uh, on Monday night, I had the chance to step into the Bible Institute, and there's, I don't know how many, 40 to 50 people taking classes, maybe a few more. Brother Jesse would know the number. But one common denominator, almost of every one of the people in there, and some of them weren't even saved five years ago, but they've been discipled. Somebody's worked with them. Whenever we see teenagers that begin to make it and to begin to grow in the Lord, usually there's someone who cared about them. And you and I need to be that someone to care about and uh, do that. And we see Jesus was working. He's working with his disciples, but he gives them this message. I think the greatest message in all the world ever recorded is right here in the pages of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You see first by way of review that uh, he gave them blessed attributes, poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, adjusting to others' agenda, hungry and thirst after righteousness, um, he find that those who are given to mercy, those who would, would take persecution gladly and accept it and understand it and rejoice and be exceeding glad because they, purchased God, they, per, they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. 
He said, these are attributes. And by the way, these are attributes of people that are saved. You've got to be saved to have poor in spirit. You've got to be saved to be repentant and mourn. These are things that are attributes to given to Christians. And then we find not only a blessed attributes, he said, every one of those things you do, God will honor you. He said, if you show mercy, we're going to give you mercy. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're going to be satisfied. He said, if you're poor in spirit, you're not self-reliant, you're dependent upon the Lord, yours is the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're going to have that. If you're meek at this present time, allowing someone else to adjust your agenda, you're letting God steer for you. He said, one day I want to give you, I want you to inherit the kingdom of God, which you'll have some control. Give up freedom now for control forever. Give up freedom now for control for the millennium. Enjoy that. He said, he said if you suffer now, rejoice. Hey, there is this going to be rewarded for that. And then he talks about the broad influence they can have if they will be salt and light. And we saw that in previous times. And then the bold contrast of illustrations. He tells them, he said, you've heard it been said, thou shalt not kill. You don't take someone's life. But I'm telling you, I'm going to dig a little deeper than that. I'm talking about your attitude toward other people. I'm talking about the conflict you have with someone. You have a brother that you have ought against them. And you say, well, I'm doing this and I'm serving this way. And you're doing all these things. He said, leave your gift and get back there and straighten your attitude out with your brother or your sister. And then come and offer your gift. He tells them, your ad, he said, when it comes to uh, this special thing, relationships are important. Then he says, let's talk about morality. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. I say unto you. If you have lust in your heart for someone who's not your spouse, uh, he said, you've committed adultery already in your heart. He digs deeper and goes farther in. Then he talks about marriage. And he gives only two verses in this passage, but conf you, con you, uh, you, uh, you move over there and you cross-reference with Matthew chapter 19. He talks more about that. Then he talks about honesty. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. Then he talks about going the extra mile, taking a little bit more going a little bit farther, uh, giving a little extra, and loving a little bit more. And then, of course, he concludes chapter 5. Read it with me, if you would, please. The last verse in chapter 5, verse 48. Can you read it with me? Be ye therefore, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is... He said, let's grow up. Let's mature. This is maturity. This is practical Christianity here, is to practice things in this way. This is God's intent. He's not talking about the letter of the law. He's talking about the spirit of the law. He's not talking about a rule, a list of things we keep. He's talking a lot deeper than that. He's talking about how God thinks about things. And he's sharing, sharing it with practical Christians. He's trying to get his disciples. And his disciples, their, 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 their mind's being blown. Because they have had 400 years and 400, they've had all these examples and, and people from the Pharisees who fax twice a week and all these things. And they're, they're throwing it in their face and, they're, and they're, now, they're, now he's trying to tell them totally different. And even when we read this passage of scripture, we think, whoa, that is really, that's really um, overkill. It's on, that's, uh, that's, less, that's teaching on steroids. <laughs> That's really like putting things very high and very lofty. And we want the rules and God wants the spirit. And then, of course, in the chapter six, we spoke about it this morning. He challenges them with their spiritual disciplines. And he gives them he gives them the spiritual disciplines, the basic spiritual disciplines of prayer, of giving and of fasting. And, of course, they're antidotes to materialism, control, 
or of power, pleasures, and possessions. Each of those things are antidotes to that. Because all of us have an itch within us to get more stuff. It's called the lust of the eyes. Okay? We all have a desire for, um, for pleasure. For pleasure, for, for self-gratification. To enjoy natural things. And, and all of that is not wrong. It's not wrong to want a good meal. It's not wrong, it's not wrong as a married, a married couple to enjoy intimacy. It's not wrong for certain things that, that come to with, with natural desires. That th those are fine. But they will get out of whack if we do not insert these three spiritual disciplines. And that is our, our good works. And alms uses one word, alms, but it could be generically speaking, things that we do, the, the righteous acts that we do. He said, when you do them, don't do them to be seen of men. He said, if you do those things in secret, your father which seeth in secret will reward you openly. Now, you find the word reward six times in chapter six. It's because God believes in reward. Now, eternal life is a gift. It is, it is faith in Jesus Christ that determines your eternal destiny. It is works for Jesus and service that determines your eternal reward. You don't earn your way to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 reminds us, not of works, of righteousness. or good things that you and I have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Uh, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He does all that work for salvation. But after we do get saved, he says, now you are his workmanship, created to Christ Jesus unto good works that God before ordained that you should walk in them. So he's telling them, he said, look, anything you do, and by the way, sometimes we don't do for other people, but we deceive our own self. The pastor has said this before, and most of you have quoted that before, pride hides. Even when we try to do the best of things, we still got a damn sinful, prideful nature that likes to get the credit. And God says, when that happen, you have your reward, John. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy the slap on the back. We won't get to talk about that in judgment of Christ, but I hope you do. Now, not just because someone finds out about it, but when that's my motive. So you can see the Lord Jesus digging deep. He's furrowing some, he, he is pushing some deep furrows. In the, into the psyche and to the motives of people. And he said, look, giving and doing good deeds, that's good. Make sure it's for the Lord. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites to impress others. He said, the guy going to the temple, he's like, I can't even wait to get to the temple. I've got to pray on the streets. We went to Israel at your expense last year. And one of the things that we saw, and one of the things that are sometimes frustrating to the average Israeli is the hypocrisy of the Orthodox Jew. So oftentimes they're, they're, I've had the people that we met there in Israel says, yeah, they're lazy. All they think, they think they stand before the wall and do this over and over again, but they don't have a job. They don't work. They just feel like they're given all their time to, to repeat same old prayers over and over again, stick their nose up against the wall, back and forth, rocking back and forth. He's repeating the same old things over and over again. And I'm not saying that's everybody's, everybody's perspective. But he said, he said, some of these folks, they, they look so religious on the outside. 
I remember walking in a particular room where all these people were supposedly studying the Torah, you know. But when, a, when, a, uh, you know, when they're in there by themselves, it's one thing. But if they see someone walk in that's a foreigner or whatever, they get loud. Oh, oh, oh boy, everybody gets a little loud. Like, what in the world, man? It's, they just, they, whether, it's just almost like they're, they're doing their works for men to impress others. He said, don't, don't be like a hypocrite. And by the way, before we get too terribly critical of that story, I got that problem in me. You got that problem in you. So many things we do, if we don't get credit for it, it really bothers us. Someone doesn't give us a thank you note or applaud us, let us know that we did a good job on that. We all of a sudden like, I'm not doing that again. And it really reveals, you know, what's going on in the inside of us. He said, don't, don't do it for the lust of men or for the praise of men. He said, don't pray like a heathen, saying that they, might, they can be heard for their much speaking and vain repetition, repeating over and over the same thing. That's a heathen practice, trying to impress God. That's not possible. God is impressed by faith, but that's not because of repetition of prayers. And he said, don't, don't be a prayer like a hypocrite. But then he gave the Lord's Prayer, and of course it is a personal prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, he, who he is. He's not your big daddy upstairs. He is someone who is to be approached with reverence and with praise. Hallowed, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come. My prayer needs to be me funneled through what is most, what's best for God. By the way, when it speaks of the kingdom of God, I can't think of anything God's more interested in than getting un unsaved people to the cross. Getting unsaved people the gospel of Christ. And that's his, that's his kingdom work. That's why I love supporting and praying for missionaries and asking God to help us. I love soul winning. By the way, yesterday probably had as strong attendance in our Saturday soul winning meetings we've had in a long time. And it was not an easy day to go out soul winning. Thank God for the faithful people that came. But getting out there and talking to folks about Christ, heard the heard of several people coming to know Jesus throughout the day yesterday and visits being made and opportunities taking place. It's good. That's kingdom work. That's good. It's thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And in heaven, as, on earth as it is already in heaven, God, whatever God wants in heaven, it happens exactly what he wants. On earth, he has to wait. <laughs> uh, he, he is, he's dependent somewhat upon our will. And one thing God has made stronger than his will is ours. He's meek. He's lowly. He'll work with us. And he said, but in the prayer, he's praying for that. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. It's a time of not only petition, but it's a time of making sure, am I right? Lord, if there's something wrong in me, then I want to confess it. I want to forsake it. I want to admit it. I want to quit it. I want to, I want to fess up to it and see it's not right. And if I'm upset with somebody else, I can't expect God to forgive me if I'm not going to forgive someone else. Because no one's ever hurt me as bad as I've hurt Jesus. And of course, Brother Stephen Ray this morning brought that to our, to our attention. No one's ever hurt me as bad as I've hurt the Lord. So if he's willing to forgive me, then no one out there walk around two legs or even one leg or no legs uh, needs to be held at bay by me. And you can build a case like you don't know what happened. You don't know what they did to me. It doesn't really matter. The Bible says, be kind one to another, tender heart, you're forgiving one another, even as God for hath. You, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Lord says, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, even as, the same way. And so he gives them the model prayer, and then he speaks about fasting. 
And uh, he tells them, when you do fast, uh, don't go around and put sackcloth on and smash your face and go around and say, yeah, it's been rough. I haven't eaten in three days. No, no. He said, go wash your face, comb your hair, quit looking like you're, you know, like something the old dog dragged in. Put a smile on your face, a spring in your step, and, and do your best not to go around and say, yeah, it's rough. And on my third day, it's hard. I'm getting a bad headache. It's terrible. He said, don't go around like that. Your father was seasoned secret, he'll reward you openly. And boy, these are things I, I was convicted of as I was studying this the other day. I, I think I told their church, I said, I'm grateful that we were able to give $1.8 million to missions. And you know, I, I, I do want to say that in praise to God. He's been very good to us. But I don't, I, I felt like, God, you convicted me. I don't want to be prideful about that. I don't want to be prideful. And I said, you know, maybe next year we can give $2 million. The truth of the matter is, God's able to give a lot more than, two, than $200,000 more. And I said, that's a silly goal, in my opinion. I shouldn't have said it. And God's convicting me about it. Because, you know, I don't want it to be self-glory. I don't want it to be glorifying to our church or to my leadership or this pastor or heart for missions that we have. But there's, there's something inside of us who want to get a goal. But the truth of the matter is, we've got to say, God, what are you trying to accomplish? What would really make you look good? What would, what would glorify you greater? Rather than us saying, yeah, our church gave this. Really, we ought to say, this is what the Lord is doing. It really should not be about another dollar bill, although that's part of it. But it should be saying, hey, look what God is doing when people are getting saved and folks are getting helped and people are being trained and the gospel's going out. It ought to be something I've heard just Brother George Zaris told us the other day that as much as 10,000 people got saved in one month in Iran through media. 10,000 people responded and said, I want Jesus. I don't want Islam. I don't want Allah. I want Jesus. And boy, that's a wonderful blessing. It makes me excited that, that we can give and we can pray and we can interest ourselves in the eternal things, but not for our praise, not for our church's praise, but for the glory of God. And I think we've got to be really be careful about that. I, I don't know, but what does the Bible say about pride? God resisteth the proud. I don't know about you, but life's hard enough without working against God. But he giveth grace unto the humble. These are things you pray with me about, because I don't want to get in a place of, of pride. I want to stay in a place, and I want to be in a place of humility. It may it'd be obvious that this is God. I'd like to have a church only God could explain. I'd like to have a year of 2021 only God could explain. And I think to many cases, we have seen that. We have seen a miracle take place in our church and through our ministries. But there's much more that God could do if we would be more faithful and more humble and more uh, yielded and dependent and poor in spirit, if you will, uh, that God could do. Well, let's look real quickly at chapter 6 and verse number 19. The Lord Jesus is changing gears a little bit, and he's giving some beneficial principles. We talked about basic spiritual disciplines. I want to talk about some beneficial principles. I'm just going to go through it kind of quickly, so follow along if you would please. Verse 19, and he said, uh, he said if, you, if you will fast secretly, I'll reward you openly. Verse 18, verse 19, now he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Most of you, your Bible has a little new paragraph start there. You see that little new paragraph, little punctuation there? That means he's starting a different thought as a general rule. That's not inspired, but it's to help us. And I know I love what he says, lay up for who? Yourselves. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth 
and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. So Jesus is saying, in context of prayer and giving and fasting, he says, let me, let me turn the page here, and let's talk about some beneficial principles that you and I need to know. Number one, don't get comfortable here and try to save. I think some people save way too much. They, like, they save enough. I've had people tell me numbers of times, well, Pastor, when I die, we're going to give a lot to missions. And they have way too much money. And I'm not here to decide how much money you're supposed to have. I'm just telling you, you ought to do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. I think, you know, it's like, well, if I don't need it, then I'll give it to the church. If I can live long enough and I don't have, I don't have a need for it, then I'm going to give it up. And, and, and there is wisdom. The Bible says there's oil and there's treasure to be desired in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends it up. If you look at any biblical principles of giving, you'll say that there's reasons for some savings. But some people, and the more you save, the more your mind is on your savings. If you get a large chunk, you're nervous about what's going on. You're looking, you're watching all that stuff go up and down, and it makes you think about it a lot. Because you can't help it. Where your treasure is, there your heart. And so Jesus says, listen, don't get excited about trying to build a huge portfolio in this world. That's what he's saying. He said, why would you do that where everything you have is going to corrode, it's going to spoil, it's going to be consumed by fire, or it's going to be captured by thieves? There's not, a, there's not a one of us can guarantee that whatever wealth you and I have accumulated cannot go away real fast. The Bible says riches make themselves wings and they fly away. No, there's all kinds of wisdom. Brother West gave us some thoughts about the thought of goodness tonight. And goodness is taking your good and sharing it. That's what the goodness means. It means taking the goods God's given you. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, um, him that stole, stop stealing, steal no more, but rather work with his own hands that which is good. That means so he'll have his own stuff that he might have good for him and then have extra to give to others in need. In the, the verse of scripture in James chapter 4 and verse 17 in context, and we sometimes take it out of context, but here's what it says. It says, to him that knoweth to do good. And do it that not, to him it is sin. That's not like if he knows he shouldn't steal, he doesn't steal. If he knows he shouldn't lie, he shouldn't lie. It's talking about if he knows that God's impressed him to give, and he doesn't give. He says, that's sin. When God prompts us to do something with the goods that we have and we don't do it, he said to him, when God's spoken to you and knows that God's told you to do something, you don't want to do it, then it becomes sin for me when I don't do that. He's talking about the goodness there, but this is a challenge. He said, look, don't lay up for yourself. This is not my teaching, friend. This is the Lord Jesus. It's his message. I didn't write it. I'm just reciting it. But he said, look, don't get excited about laying up treasures in this life where everything corrodes, it corrupts, it's consumed, and it's captured. Don't do that. But he says, on the turnabout of that, lay up for yourselves. Look at the next verse and read it, verse 20. Can we please? Chapter 6, verse 20, everyone. Lay up for yourselves treasures in where there's neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. 
Yeah, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, that's, those are great verses to underline. Circle, highlight. That's, those are key verses. And it's interesting to me, where are we in, the, in, in this sermon? Are we at the beginning? Are we at the end? Where are we in chapter 6, verse 19, 20? You're right smack in the middle of it. One of the sayings I oftentimes have, there's money is always in the middle. And I think there's so many things. I mean, from health care to, to so many things, money's always keeps to surface. In the middle of marriages, it surfaces. It's in the middle. And it's in the middle of this message. You know, Jesus dealt with a lot of things here. And now he's in the middle, in the, in the meat of his message. He said, look, don't get, don't get too heavy an in investment in this life. Remember, you have another place that you need to make investment. Lay up for yourselves treasures heavy. Son of a pastor, I've never been to heaven. Neither have you. But Jesus lives there. Okay? And one thing he knows about heaven, and his advice, knowing us, knowing heaven, he says, look, you're going to need treasure there. So make investment. And then where your treasure is, there your have you ever heard someone say, ah, oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Those people are very rare. That really is not true. You probably can't be too heavenly minded. And uh, I think he says, look, as you learn to invest in eternity, uh, I think almost always, not always, but in my, in my short term of 21 years of being a pastor, and I do not check people's givings. Very, very rarely have I ever done that. It's usually a, a troubled staff member or something like that. I might find out something. But very rarely do I, knew, do I know. I don't know how much people give in this church. I don't evaluate giving records. But here's what I found out. People in sin and people disgruntled and people usually stop giving before they leave the church. And this is their own testimony. They'll quickly tell you. Had someone tell me not too long ago, you know, yeah, I'm leaving the church. I'm just, I'm not getting fed here. I don't like it. I'm going to go to a smaller place, blah, 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 blah. But I'll stop them in their tracks if they want to be honest. Are you a faithful giver? And it seems like to me seven times out of ten, they're not. They're not giving. And they stop and then they lose heart. I've had people tell me, I don't have a heart for this church anymore. I said, do you give to the Lord? Well, you know, I, I, did, I did for years, but not, well, probably haven't in the last 12 months, 15 months, 18 months. I said, you know, before you skip town and go somewhere else and just take yourself, wherever you go, you got to take you. And you take your nothingness with you. <laughs> you might want to just start giving and see if God would not give you a heart from the church. And I have seen that happen over and over again where people say, hang on a second. I think I'll try that. And God changes it. He changes that, and here Jesus is saying, lay up yourself treasure in heaven, because wherever your treasure is, or your heart be also, that goes in your marriage, wherever you say, well, I'm just not in love with my husband anymore, or my wife anymore, we're just falling apart. Hey, start investing in your love, and you're going to find, you start investing, your heart will go there. You, you, start, you, start, you start putting your, your treasure in things that matter in eternity, your, your heart's going there. You know the reasons people are interested in missions? Because they give to missions. People who give to missions are interested in what's going on in missions. We rarely fall asleep during the missionary presentation. We're like, hey, oh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear about that. Oh, Brother Mark, look at that. Oh, that's good. They got that church started from that house church right in the middle of COVID. Isn't that great? People that are not interested in giving yawn through that stuff. Like, oh, can we get through this? Let's do something else. Why do we have to go to 10 missionaries all the time? 
it's not the givers who have that idea. People who have, wherever your treasure is, your investment, your heart will be interested. It'll affect how you think, it'll affect how you feel and what you want. Let's look at the next thing we can, please. Verse number 22. He said, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So this matter of finances affects your vision. That's what he's saying. He said, the light of the body is the eye. There's other things we can learn from that. But really, he's going to say, your finances affects how you view things. Okay, look at the next thing the Bible says in verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Therefore, thy light that is in thee be darkness. How great is that darkness? He said, if, you, if you're really in the dark, you're really in the dark in, in this area. Now read verse number 24 with me. Are you ready? No man shall serve, for either he will love the other, or else he will despise the other. Ye cannot serve... It's interesting here. Here's, here's, here's three things, guys. Number one, he says you've got two treasuries. Okay? You've got a treasury here and treasury there. Some of us have First Bank, First Midwest. Some of us have Centier. Some of us you might have Chase. Whatever your bank is here, a Providence. But we have, we have, we have a bank here. Okay? And then we also have a bank in heaven. So there's two different treasuries. And then it gives us two different perspectives, two different ways that we look at things. Some look at it temporally, some look at it eternally. Because your, your gifts, your investment doesn't just tell me where your heart is, doesn't just tell God where your heart is, it tells where your heart's going to go. It affects that. And it, it affects your thinking. It affects the way you see things, how you view finances. And then lastly, you have two masters, two treasuries, Two perspectives and two masters. And you're going you're gonna to love one, despise the other. You're going to hold the one to, and, and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And money's a wonderful servant. It's a terrible master. And it really says a lot about me and it says a lot about you. If someone can look at your time and your bank account and your spending, they can tell a lot about you. We don't, we, those are private things for us. We don't really put that out there for everybody to sow. But, it, but if you were to talk to me about things, we could talk about a lot of private things. We could talk about where I went to school, how many times I moved, what cities I lived in, what birthday I have, how many kids I have, when's their birthday, what's their middle names. You could ask me all kinds of private things. But if you said, hey, Pastor, how much do you get paid every week? You say, really? Oh, that's a little personal. Oh, that's okay, Pastor. Could I just see your checkbook ledger? I'd like to see how you, how you, how you spend your money, Pastor. Could I just, just see how, how that... Well, all of a sudden, I would get lockjaw. I'd say, hang on a second, man. You're getting real personal. Well, you've been real personal the whole time, but you know what? You crossed the line, and that's a heart issue. Now, if Linda asked me those first two questions, I would say... How much do I make every week? And I would just tell her. Honey, can we see? I'm going to see how we're spending our money. I would just show it to her. You know why? She has my heart. I've given that to her, and, and that's something that's open. That's not just something we just share with everybody. So it's a real personal thing. And it changes how we think. It changes our perspective. And then it decides who our master is going to be. 
And we're all in a growth, we're all in a different level. And God's speaking to your heart differently than He's speaking to my heart today. But we see that God is now, in the middle of this message, the Lord Jesus is digging down deep. And he's talking about heart issues of finances. And then he says, he's going to take on the next several times, he's going to say, take no thought. Take no thought. Take no thought. Okay, and here's one of the things that, that he's going to share with us. What's another way to say, take no thought today? Stop worrying. He said, don't worry. That's what he's saying. He said, take no thought. Well, let's read it and let's just see what he says here real quickly. If we can, please look at verse number 25. Are you there? I'm going I'm to try to wrap this thing up real quickly here. Therefore, I say unto you, take no what? For your life, for what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or yet for your body, for what ye shall put on. For it is not the life more than the meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, they toil not. Now he's using an illustration of, of things that God takes care of. The fowls of the air, they they, they toil not, excuse me, they sow not, excuse me, they don't, they don't farm, no, the, the birds don't farm, neither do they reap, they don't reap, nor they gather in barns, they don't store up. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to a stature? Which of you can go from being 6'4 to 6'5, or 5'1 to 5'2? Or five, five foot to five eight on your own decision. You can't. You can't, you can't grow that way. Verse 28, and why take ye thought for raiment? What you're going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. They don't go shopping. They don't put, a, put, put material on a spindle and make a, make a dress or make, make a covering. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Verse 31, read it with me, everyone out loud together. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Would you read verse 33 and 34 with me, everyone? But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So you'll see here there's a continual theme. And this is where oftentimes, well, you know, this doesn't talk about our day. Now, Oftentimes, people who are, who are hyper-dispensationalists hyper will really, if you go all the way through, there's a guy in North Chicago years ago, I think his name was O'Leary, but um, uh, he, um, not the one that kicked the cow over, uh, that kicked the fire, started the jungle fire, someone else, it might not be O'Leary, I can't remember his name right now, but he got so hyper-dispensationalist, hyper the only, only books of the Bible that even pertain to him was the Pauline epistles, the prison epistles. The rest of the Bible, all the Old Testament didn't pertain to me. The law didn't pertain to me. Proverbs does not. Psalms does not. Revelation does not. I mean, just you can almost X out all the Bible and just find out which part really pertains to you. 
But I'm glad that we have all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And all of it is profitable. It has different, uh, has one interpretation, has multiple application. But we can see here that a heavenly father in heaven is saying, I really don't want my kids to be worried about what you're going to have to eat, what you're going to drink. I don't want you worried about what you're going to have to put on your clothes. I don't really want you to worry about tomorrow. He's got plenty of things to do today. And our Heavenly Father knows what we have need of. Well, we oftentimes will just rack our brains, stay up at night, get up early in the morning, trying to figure out all that's going to happen. And God said, I really wish you wouldn't take thought for that. Get your perspective changed. There's five things I think he tells us to be careful about. He said, he said, I don't want you to worry about your finances. Exercise wisdom, but don't worry. I think he tells us that. He said, I don't want you to worry about your food. He said, if I, if I can feed a bird, you don't see starving sparrows. He said, they don't, have it. They, don't, they don't take all their food and put it in a hole and go get it again. But God gives them what they need. And God's going to give you. He goes, aren't you greater than a bird? If I can take care of a bird, I can take care of you. Because I don't want you to worry about your food. I don't want you to worry about your finances. And by the way, I do think that, that even with birds, there is work. Hard work is a diligent thing. They go out and work. God wants you to do things. But he said, I don't want you to make this a matter of worry. Because I don't want you to worry about your clothes, your fashions. He said, if I can take care of a lily, I can, I can clothe you. I don't want you to take care. I, want you to, I don't want you to worry about your fitness so much. How tall you are. And you, you, there's, there's different things. There's, there's things we can do about our, 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 our life. If the barn needs paint it, paint it. You know? If you can drop a few pounds, drop a few pounds. I think you ought to take care of your body. It's your temple and you have a responsibility for that. But he said, you know, trying to, trying to make sure you're this or that. Because I don't know if that's such a good idea. I don't want you to worry about that. And then he says, I don't want you to worry about the future. He says, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. But here's what you can worry about. You can not worry about anything, but here's what you can focus on. Seeking first the kingdom of God and what he thinks is right. And then all these other things, the food, the clothes, the finances. I, can, I, cannot, I cannot speak with great authority, but I will tell you this. Whenever I have in my life and ministry tried to practice these principles, God takes care of a lot of things that I couldn't take care of in a million years. When I learned to give, when I learned to not worry, not fret, you know, someone said worry is taking on responsibility that God never intended for us to have. And there's many folks right here in this room, you're worried about the future. And God says, take no thought. We're worried about food. We're worried about what's going to happen with our, with our clothes. What's going to happen with our finances? And God said, I don't, I don't want you to worry about that. I want you to work hard. I want you to learn to be, be, be frugal and content. I want you to associate carefully. I want you to, to give generously. But I don't want you to worry. Just like I wouldn't want my kids to just keep on saying, knock on the door, Dad, am I going to have food tomorrow? Dad, are we going to have any place to live tomorrow? But they kept doing that, I would say, son, Go to sleep. We're fine. Oh, it drive me crazy. I wonder how much more our Heavenly Father, who owns heaven and earth, gets frustrated when we always, I'm just so worried, I'm so worried, I'm so worried. He said, no, let's don't be that way. 
these are things that God's digging deep, and he's, he's digging some deep furrows in my heart just studying it. And I pray that God will help us to catch the spirit of his message.